those are whites in the folders. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to our services today here at Anchorage Church of Christ. Thank all of you for being here in person this morning, as well as those who are joining us via Internet. Today, I want to read to us from the book of uh, First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We will be starting at verse 1. And as we prepare to read, just, just let's think for a moment of this wonderful opportunity that God is allowing us. Uh, the weather is nice. It's a little rain, which we needed to get our, our landscape growing properly. But also, he's allowed us the opportunity to awake, to awake this morning but and the opportunity to worship him. And what a wonderful opportunity this is, because we keep hearing this term a lot. We are socially distanced, but spiritually we are close because of the opportunities that we have in studying the Word of God and also the technology that we have where we can come together, even though separate, and worship Him. So as we turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5, and I have the problem that Tony had uh, Wednesday. I left my glasses in a good place so I can always find them at home. So I should be able to read this, though. So let us read. And the Bible reads, Now concerning the times and the season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, There is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's amazing. This is written in the first century, but it's just applicable today, and it needs to be read to us. And we need to read it ourselves as well. We need to meditate on the things that Paul is telling us here. Because every time we meditate on the word of God, we have the opportunity for growth, spiritual growth. Let us not be found without knowledge when our time comes. Let us pray. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you so very much, Father. Father, we can't thank you enough for how you bless us each and every day of our lives. Heavenly Father, you bless us in ways that we ourselves have trouble phantoming and, and, and can't even imagine and don't even notice or take notice. But Father, we know in due time, we look back of those times and we realize how we were blessed by you. And then we thank you. Father, let us take opportunity every day to thank you, Father, because there is something good that you're doing for us each and every day. And Heavenly Father, when we're thanking you, Father, we're not just looking at ourselves of what you're doing specifically for us, Father, but we're thanking you for what you're doing for for mankind as a whole, especially for our sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus. And Father, for that, we can't thank you enough. Heavenly Father, it is so wonderful to see that we're getting to the point where we're having the opportunity to to have more of a group at worship services, Father. Father, we thank you for working with Ken and I as the elders of this congregation. We thank you for working with Tony as our preacher, Father, and, and all of the other servants of this congregation, Father, who are endeavoring to, to bring this to fruition, Father, where we will be able to worship again. Heavenly Father, we can't say that we haven't been blessed because we know we have. And Heavenly Father, we know it's because of the grace that you pour upon us, Father, that it makes all of this possible. Heavenly Father, let us never say how deserving we are of anything, but let us be thankful that you saw fit, Father, to allow our, 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 our Savior, Christ Jesus, to suffer and die for our sins, that you saw fit, Father, to place him at your right hand, that you saw fit to make him our Savior and our mediator. And Father, we can't thank you enough for the Holy Spirit who guides us each and every day, Father. Whether we listen or not, the Holy Spirit is always there giving us instruction. And we thank you for that. Heavenly Father, as we go into our worship service today, may everything we do bring glory, praise, and honor unto you. Heavenly Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Harris, and good morning to everyone. We will start us our singing at uh, 
if you're following along at home, uh, 1134. 1134. If you're following along in here, it's 1134 of the spiral notebook or the um, songbook. <clears throat> if we have it, let us sing. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew, and renew the right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew and renew the right spirit within me. Amen. Our next song will be All to Jesus I Surrender. Number 29. All to Jesus I Surrender. If we have it, let us sing. All to Jesus I surrender all To Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him In His presence daily live I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender humbly at his feet I bow worldly pleasures all forsaken take me Jesus take me now I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessing. 
song before our focus will be 359 Jesus keep me near the cross after which our brother court will give us our focus for communion and for collection Jesus keep me near the cross if we have it let us sing Jesus keep me near the cross there are Precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain, in the cross, in the cross be my glory. trembling soul love and mercy found me there the bright and morning star sheds his beams around me in the cross in the the river near the cross O Lamb of God bring its scenes before me help me walk from day to day with its shadow Amen. Mm-hmm. 
the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the cross I'll watch and wait hoping trusting ever till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river in the cross Good morning. Today, uh, as we get ready to take uh, the Lord's Supper, I wanted to focus in on the encouragement of taking communion. You know, we have one of the greatest needs as human beings is the need to receive encouragement. And what's going on today in this world, probably no more so than it is today. Uh, Even Christians are feeling the anxiety and the things that are happening around them. So pray that this encouragement of communion will help you uh, to cope with those things. You know, the Christian believers in Thessalonica were also discouraged and disheartened. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 15, Paul encouraged them to stand firm and to hold to the teachings we passed on to you. And then in verse 16, he prayed for them. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Paul reminded them and us that we have eternal encouragement and hope, even if we don't feel that way. As we get ready to take the bread, let us pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this day. And Father, this is your day. And we humbly come before you now. We're encouraged by what you've done for us. And Father, we, as we take this bread, it represents the body of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray that we will take moments to reflect and and tread out into the deep water of what this really means for us. Father, we're so thankful that you sacrificed the best that heaven had to offer. And Father, help us to remember that each and every day that we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
And we will continue now with this encouragement of communion. Jesus himself found in the comfort of this eternal hope, the strength to die an agonizing death, recognizing that the joy of being able to rescue us from our sins would be worth it all. The author of Hebrews shares with us the secret to endurance in this long-distance race we call life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who entered such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And as we get ready to take this cup, it's my prayer that we will not only take this communion, but in doing so, we will also receive encouragement, knowing that Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks for this cup that represents the blood of your Son and our Savior. Father, we we cringe sometimes at the fact that such a costly sacrifice had to be made for us. But we also are reassured by the tremendous love that was behind that sacrifice. Father, we pray that when we take this cup to remember Jesus' sacrifice, that we will be strengthened and encouraged for what faces us ahead in this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's Supper has concluded, and this is the time that's been set aside for our giving. And we'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 12. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. He has scattered abroad the gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Today, as we take this time to give, We should remember that our giving should be a reflection of our thanksgiving to God, who has supplied us with all grace, in all things, at all times, having all that we need so that we can also abound in every good work.
Let us pray. Father, as we take this time to give back what you have so generously blessed us with, Father, help us to stop and reflect on those blessings. And Father, there are many who are struggling right now financially, who have possibly lost jobs, been laid off. Father, we ask that you would especially bless them. And Father, that, you know, we we want to give those gifts and realize that they reflect just how much we love you and what you've done to bless our lives each day. We give you thanks for Jesus most of all, Father. We ask that you would bless this giving today and bless the eldership as they distribute these funds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Court. Jesus says, suffer the children to come unto me. And uh, I've been asked by some of the sisters here at the congregation to uh, be mindful of our children who sometimes don't know some of the other songs we sing to try to bring one that they are familiar with. So this next song is, is for the young and the young at heart uh, to sing along with us in this worship service to God that they can, at a young age, uh, be joyful in uh singing praises to God as well. Oh, How I Love Jesus, number 473, will be the song we will sing. Oh, How I Love Jesus. If we have it, let us sing. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set men free. It tells me of his precious blood. The sinner's perfect plea, singing, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. It tells of one whose loving heart can fill my deepest woe. Who in each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. Singing now, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh. How I love Jesus, because he first loved me, singing now, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, 
how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Amen. How I love Jesus. A song after the message. A song after the message will be number 662, There's a Fountain. A song before the message will be number 190, Great is Thy Faithfulness. If it is convenient for you at this time, let's all be standing. We have it. After which, we'll hear the message from Brother Tony Cloud. If we have it, let us sing. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changes not thy compassion, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see, all I have needed thy hands hath provided, great is Lord, unto me, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright home for tomorrow. Blessings on mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy 
thy faithfulness morning by morning true mercies I see all I have needed thy hand hath provided great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen. Good morning, church. We praise God for this blessing for the blessed opportunity and occasion to be able to assemble in different ways to worship our great and amazing God in heaven. And it is true that God is faithful, and for that reason, we have the victory. And so we relish in the idea, the thought, understanding that God is faithful and we win. Let's please go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your great son to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary. For at his name, every knee shall bow. Thank you for the opportunity to bow, Lord God, the knee to our great Savior and to you, our loving Father. We pray, Lord God, this morning as we worship you, that we will worship in a manner that's pleasing and acceptable in your sight. That our minds will be rid of all worldly thought and that we'll think only of you. And Lord God, as we worship you this morning, we'll find that great joy in being in your presence. We ask for your, your guidance, your direction, and your protection. Pray for your mercy and your care and your love. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do thank thee and pray these things that be thy will. Amen. We're in Revelation chapter 2. We're looking at uh, the city of Pergamum. And from that uh, city, I've selected the title for the sermon this morning, Satan's place, for in Pergamum it truly was Satan's place. The city is a site of a, is a, a, site of a great library with more than 200,000 volumes. Uh, the capital at one time of Rome, um, of Asia the Less, the province there. And it was known as a great intellectual center and it was a religious city. When you think of religious, we think, oh boy, that's a religious person. When you look in the Bible and you read the term religious, is not necessarily good. It was a very religious city. We travel north and we get, um, we understand that this, this city, about 50 years before Smyrna worshipped Roman emperors, they'd already done this. And you find that uh, they had a temple to Caesar Augustus. This is the Caesar you find in Luke chapter 2, uh, at the birth of Jesus Christ. The city had temples both to Greeks and to Romans, and Pergamum was especially known for the worship of Asclepius. And that's the god of healing. And if you think about that, uh, that symbol, you'll remember or recall that that is the serpent coiled around a rod. You've seen that in the medical profession even to this day. 
By the time the book of Revelation is written, they not only have one temple to the Roman emperors, but at this time, they have three. Now, people from all over Rome, in the Roman area, believed in this God of healing, Escalapius. And so the sick and the diseased would come to this temple at night. And if through the night a serpent, a snake, touched you, then you would experience, as they have taught, a healing of some sort in health. As I have uh, remembered this and reminded myself of this, preparing for this lesson, <laughs> Escalapius Soter, or if you will, Escalapius Savior. Savior? Huh. Revelation 2, verse 12. We get into the account now. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Now it's important to know, we're going to Revelation chapter 1, that the two-edged sword is a sword that has a blade that cuts coming and going because it's a blade on each side of the sword. And this was very, very uh, a fierce weapon. In fact, the Roman Roman Empire, back about 63 B.C., uh, when Pompey came and destroyed the world, if you will, and became the ruler uh, of the world. That two-edged sword was everything. But Jesus says, I have that two-edged sword. And in Revelation 1 and verse 16, the Bible says, And his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And in chapter 2, if you will, in verse 16, we find that this sword, it has this discerning power. In Revelation 2, in verse 16, the Bible says, Repent therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. So now back to verse 13, because I want to get now this title into your minds this morning. In verse 13 of Revelation 2, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Now know this for sure. That wherever Satan dwells, wherever you have sin and worship, if you will, idolatry, wherever you have these things, you can know for sure that Satan is there. They worship so many gods. The gods in Pergamum were Dionysus and Athena and, and Dimitri and Zeus and uh, Minerva and Apollo and Venus and Bacchus and Asclepius and you just name it. They had so many gods and they worship the emperors as well. They erected the temple uh, to the emperor, and this is what it actually states as its title, to the divine Augustus and the goddess Roma. Their heathen practices infiltrated the ranks of Christianity because residents of the area advised Christians to no longer worship Jesus, but rather to join in their sinful and promiscuous way of living the lifestyle of evil and wickedness in Satan's place. Back to verse 13 again. 
I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. They did well. They refused sensuality. They refused the evil. They held fast the name of Christ. They did not deny the faith, even to the point of watching their beloved brother, Antipas, be executed for the cause of Christ. Please turn to Revelation chapter 14. Now the question that we might ask, that someone might ask, is this. Where is Antipas? To the world, to the Romans, they would say Antipas is dead. But Jesus says Antipas is alive. And I want you to follow this as we read through three verses in the book of Revelation to receive the encouragement that God wants us to gain. So first of all, Revelation 14 and verse 13, the Bible says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Where's Antipas? He's in that blessed place. Chapter 12 and verse 11. There the Bible says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to death. It was the death that gained the victory for our beloved brother and for other brethren who died at this moment. But why? Chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 9 through about verse 11. Listen to what Antipas has to say and the other saints as well. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each one of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed also. Antipas is alive. When you live in Satan's house, when you live in Satan's place, you have to know that holding on to Jesus will bring life to you and not death. And when it comes to serving the Lord, the Lord does not want some. God wants all. And so he says in chapter 2 and verse 14, I do have something against you. But I have a few things against you because you have there some, not all, but some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Back to Numbers 25, because this is what the book of Revelation does. It reaches backwards to to a congregation that's suffering and struggling. It reaches far backwards into the Old Testament, and it brings out very important teachings and it brings out reminders, but it also shows us that Satan, um, you know, he's very clever and very crafty. But here's what he does. 
He uses the same things over and over again. Well, because he knows it works. And so here Balaam, way back with Balak, a long time ago, becomes this, this, this exercise of evil in the Old Testament, and now you find it also in the New Testament as well. Some were holding fast to immoral teachings. The teachings of Balaam, the teachings of Baal, if you will. They were exercising fornication to their idol gods. Verse 1 of Numbers 25. While Israel remained in Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. For they invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal Peor. And the Lord was angry against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Israel played the harlot with the Midianite women. Some held to the teaching of Baal. And even to this day, I'm going to come right back to it. I'm going to hang this out there and come right back to it. Even to this day, sexual promiscuity, the worship of the Nicolaitans, the worship of Baal is still prevalent in our world today. How sad that is. Numbers 20, uh, 24 and verse, and verse 1. Some held to the teaching, and God says, I don't like this, I don't like this living or this lifestyle. Verse 1, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. In other words, here's what happens. The idolater played both sides. You know, one time, one side became the prototype, if you will, of, of, of corrupt teachers. Uh, he, on one hand, uh, because of the money and the fame that he looked for, that uh, Balak promised him, he wanted to go and serve evil and wickedness, and he went to omens. But on the other hand, he spoke for God. Now, that's a whole other issue within itself, isn't it? Second Peter, please, chapter 2. But here's something we understand. We understand that evil people can still speak God's word. And God said about the the Pharisees, for example, and the Sadducees, listen to what they say, but don't do as they do. And brethren, it's very important that we know the word of God and that we follow it. But here's what happened in the early church. This idol, this idolatrous way of living, this lifestyle, this life of promiscuity invaded the hearts of even Christians. Second Peter 2 and verse 10. Peter writes about this and says, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile against angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, violating where they had no knowledge, while in the destruction of those creatures also to be destroyed, suffering wrong 
as their wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery, and they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a dumb donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. The madness of the prophet. A dumb donkey had to wake him up. Maybe we need another dumb donkey today. Right? I mean, you think about our lives and the way that people are... Lives are being destroyed, brethren, because of sexual promiscuity. Because of the gods of the Nicolaitans. Because of the gods and the practices of Baal. It has not died to this day. Satan works the same way. He just disguises it in a different name, in a different face, in a different way. Back to Revelation, please. Chapter 2. The Nicolaitans, they were a problem. It's the Greek equivalent to Baal. They were worshiping the strange gods of idolatry and fornication. And the worst sort of compromise is Christians are to be holy, and yet in their own places they were suffering tremendously because of the wickedness of their hearts. In verse 15, Thus you also have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now I want you to understand the difference between the two. Here in in Pergamum, you have some who are holding to the teaching. What kind of teaching is this? I think more important than understanding what exactly the Nicolaitans taught is knowing that God hated what they taught. Revelation 2 and verse 6. The church at Ephesus, he says, Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Church, it's imperative that we learn to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. Do you know how much heartache we would save ourselves in Christ if we would learn to hate what God hates and to love what God loves? 1 Corinthians, please, for just a moment. Chapter 6. Adultery and fornication is plaguing the church with no end in sight. And we cannot allow this, this evil, if you will, to continue to destroy the lives of humanity, especially, especially our brethren. Sexual immorality, if you will, depicts the whole culture of the Roman Empire. I mean, you think about Rome, you think of sexual immorality. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. Church of Pergamon. Similar to the church at Corinth. Not very far apart. In distance. Very similar. In that they tolerated and accepted immoral teachings. 
In the church at Corinth, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such of a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. Someone has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. How does a congregation get to the point where it becomes worse than the world? Church, that is a, an issue even today. That there are some places, there are some Christians who live their lives worse than the world. That's the same thing could be said that, you know, here's this, this individual. This individual is doing things committing sins that even people in the world do not commit. How do we fall? How do we stoop to such a level? Satan is busy. Satan is busy. He's in the hearts of humanity, and he wants our souls. You see, but the whole book of Revelation is all about victory. You hold fast to Jesus. You stay true to God. Regardless of what goes on in this life, you and I, we Win. We gain the victory. Don't give in to sin. Don't give in to Satan. Don't give up. Hold fast to Jesus. When it comes to God, back to Revelation, please, chapter 2. God wants all. God does not want us to live our lives in a way that is going to hurt not only ourselves, but also hurt others as well. So he says to them, the same thing he said to the church at Ephesus and everywhere else. He'll say it over and over again. And he says it to us. When there is sin in our lives, turn around. Repent. Change your life. Verse 16. Repent, therefore, or else, I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war with them, against them, with the sword of my mouth. Now that sword, turn to Hebrews, please. Chapter 4. That sword is amazing. It's amazingly powerful because the Word of God is there to, to, if you will, guide us. But it's also a weapon. The Word of God has the discerning ability. God Himself discerns as He looks into our hearts. And God knows some amazing things about us. Right? He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And here's what the Bible says in verse 12. It says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any Two-edged sword. Jesus said, I've got this. This is the sword of my mouth. The word of God. And piercing as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of whom we have to do. God's word cuts coming and going. You know, it's interesting. I wonder sometimes if if God's Word truly affects us the way it once did. And we know the answer is, of course it does. But our hearts, the world today, the hearts of the world today have become so callous, it seems. So callous. And every generation, it seems, as the Bible says, it gets worse and worse and worse, right? The Bible tells us that. In every generation, you hear the older folks who would say, wow, you know, my days were horrible, but it's getting worse. And the next generation would say, my days were horrible, but it's getting worse. How much worse do you think it's going to be before Jesus Christ comes back? The Word of God cuts coming and going 
And it divides the soul and the spirit. It divides the very thought from the very intention of the heart. And so many of us have been deceived by Satan so as to believe that maybe God doesn't know. But God does know. He knows it all. And if we refuse to surrender to God, we're going to find ourselves like the church in Pergamum in other places with individuals within it being found lost. Why give up your soul to Satan? Revelation 2, please, in verse 5. Why turn your life over to Satan? Have we forgotten that Satan absolutely hates us? I mean, hate isn't even probably the strongest. I mean, this is, you know, the strongest word I can use. Satan hates us. And some of us will say, hey, Satan, here, take my heart. Do you think Satan's going to do anything other than laugh when you, if we miss heaven? All he's going to do is laugh at us and say, I can't believe you fell for that. Right? You fell for the okie doke. I can't believe you fell for that. Didn't you know I hate, didn't you hear the preacher say to you that I hate you? Well, I do hate you. And God's on the other hand saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And all I want is for you to be saved. So he says, turn around, repent. Verse 5, back to the church at Ephesus, he says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Repent, repent, repent. Why is that such a bad word? Remember when I, a long time ago, I, I said, uh, to the congregation. That Satan has turned the aisles of, of, of um, uh, in the church building that are aisles of glory. In other words, when a person comes down these aisles to repent of sin that's in their lives, it's the aisle of glory, giving glory and honor to God and praise to God. And what a, what a beautiful thing for a person who has fallen away to turn their lives around and come back to the Lord, right? Like the prodigal, the father's arms were open, ready, willing, for his son. And God the same way. There's much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, who turns his life around and comes to God. But these aisles of glory that bring victory, that bring rejoicing to the heart of God, a person coming down, surrendering their lives to Jesus in the waters of baptism, these aisles of glory have become aisles of shame. Shame. To where Christians say, I just can't do it. I just cannot turn my life around because of what the people are going to think. I remind you of Antipas. I remind you of Antipas. A martyr for the Lord who stood true for God and the eyes of glory gained his victory. Be like Antipas. Be like Jesus. Be like those heroes of faith. Be like Christians who, in the word of God, followed Jesus and held him true. In Pergamum, not everyone followed evil and wickedness. Not everyone did that. Just some. Just some. So what has God done for us today? Revelation 2 in verse 17 has given us something that, that we can hold on to. Right? In verse 17 he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on it. The stone which no one knows but he who receives it. 
the hidden manna. I'm going to John chapter 6. Because here's the application. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church's program. I want you to remember. Remember something that's very critical in your life, in your relationship to God. If you refuse to sit at the table of pagan gods, I will give you the hidden manna. So what is that? Well, see, that's the message that Jesus has been talking about. From the very time that he came to the earth and he walked amongst the people of God, he talked about this manna, the manna of life. If you will, in John chapter 6, in verse 31, there the Bible says this. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said therefore to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never or not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. The spiritual connection is through Jesus. And every first day of the week, we come together, and we do this, taking the Lord's Supper in remembrance of the bread of heaven, of the bread of life, the manna that God gives to his children. This manna, this relationship brings life. It is a place where Satan is not invited. It is a place where Satan is not invited. And then, if you will, it continues, the teaching, in verse 48. There the Bible says, of John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven. So that the one may eat of it and not die. You get what he's saying? Remember Antipas? He's alive. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you something too. This is what I gave to Antipas. I gave him a white stone. And that white stone, regardless of how you look at it, the white stone is like, if you will, uh, someone who's been declared innocent by the blood of Jesus Christ receives this stone. It's like an invitation that you receive. It's like having a ticket, the ticket to heaven. And Jesus says, I gave that stone to Antipas and I have the same stone for you. But let me add one more thing to it. I'm going to write on that stone a name, something that only you, the person who receives that stone, well, no. And I don't know what it said on that stone, but I can imagine something like, Well done, ye good and faithful servant. Enter ye into my rest. Thank you, God. Church, God wants us to live forever. Forever. Please. Do not throw your soul away. 
Do not give your soul to Satan. Do not give up. Do not quit. Do not stop. Remember Antipas. Remember our faithful loved ones in the body of Christ. They're alive. They're alive. They're alive. And we praise God for that. This morning the lesson is yours. I pray that if repentance is necessary in your heart, that you will surrender to the Lord God. I pray that if you are not a child of God, that you will surrender to God in the waters of baptism, having heard his word and believed that beautiful message of Jesus Christ, having repentance in your heart, making the good confession that you believe Jesus is Lord Christ, the Son of the living God, being baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, and then stay true to God, faithful until the end. God bless each and every one of you. There is a fountain filled with blood Drawn from Emmanuel's vein And sinners plunge beneath the flood Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Wash all my sins away, wash all my sins away, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins Since by faith I saw the stream Thy flowing wounds supply Redeeming love has been my theme And shall be till I die And shall be till I die And shall be till I die Redeeming love has been my theme And shall be till I die Amen (coughs) Got something in my throat there.
Uh, Brother Harris, do you have some final words before I finish? All right. Our closing song for today will be um, number 499, Old To Be Like Thee. 499. Before we start it, give me a second. Thank you. <clears throat> After the closing song, we'll have our closing prayer and, uh, and, and announcements from Brother Harris. <clears throat> oh, to be like thee. If we have it, let us sing. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of its treasures, Jesus thy perfect likeness to the air. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, Stamp thine own image deep in my heart. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art. Come in Thy sweetness, come in Thy fullness, stamp Thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like Thee, lovely Spirit, Holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, I am coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I am bringing, Lord, from this moment all shall be thine. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy fullness, come in thy fullness, Stamp thine own image deep in my heart. Amen.
Let us pray. Our blessed Heavenly Father, thank you, Father. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to praise you, to honor you, and glorify you. Father, thank you for this opportunity to build on our faith, to grow and mature. Heavenly Father, we truly believe that each time we hear the word of God preached, we hear the word of God read, we study the word of God, Father, you provide an opportunity and an avenue for us to grow. Heavenly Father, because of your love, because of your great care for us, we know that the rocky roads that are ahead of us are made smooth. And Father, we thank you for that. Heavenly Father, we know that at times we may fall. But Father, we know that you are there to help us get up, to brush us off, and to again point us in the right direction. Father, thank you for the the avenue of repentance. Because we all fall. We all do things that are contrary to the word of God. We transgress. But Father, because of the avenue of repentance, Father, we know that we can come to you in a true uh, repentant heart. And not only do you forgive, but you forget. And never again do you hold up in front of us and say, remember when. But each and every day you say to us, we, I, God, want you in heaven with me. Father, let us not be swayed by the words of the devil. Let us not be swayed by the glamour of the world. But let us be swayed by your word. Let us be swayed by the love that you pour upon us each and every, every day of our lives. Let us be swayed by our sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus who are encouraging us to continue our walk of faith regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the trials, regardless of the temptations that are before us. Father, let it be said of us on that day of judgment, enter in my good and faithful servant. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to leave services today, Father, we want to bring to you some of our sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus, Father, who have medical issues. Heavenly Father, we continue to pray for Brother Chuck, Father, and, and his medical issues as he's having. And for Sister Gail, as she is concerned for him, Father, and, and providing the care that she can. And for his children as well. Heavenly Father, let us, let us, allow us to bring before you Sister Lillian Schoonmaker. She is, she is, according to the doctors, in her final days. And Father, we know that that her family is struggling because of this. But Father, we know that they're also rejoicing, Father, because they know her heart. They know where she's headed. But Father, it is still difficult. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers for Sister Lillian, Father, and confident her during these times. Heavenly Father, we are also bringing before you Brother Ron Hogan who uh, had serious surgery yesterday. Father, we thank you for allowing him to come through that. Father, we thank you for being with Sister Zona. Father, she is worried as well. But Father, she too knows that all things are in your hand. And Father, because all things are in your hand, Father, she knew that regardless of the outcome, it Ron would be in a good place. But, Father, we're so very thankful that you have allowed him to successfully come through his surgery, Father. And we're praying that he will continue to to recover, Father, and regain his strength and his health. Heavenly Father, I also want to bring before you two of my co-workers who are having some family issues at this time and have decisions to make. 
Father, we pray that you will continue to comfort them and strengthen them as well. Allow them to look at you, Father, and see what peace is all about. Allow them to look at you, Father, and see what love is all about. And, Father, whatever I can do to be of assistance to them, Father, please continue to give me the wisdom to do so. Heavenly Father, we love you so very much. And, Father, all the love of this entire congregation combined together is no comparison to the love that you have for us. But, Father, we're doing our best to love you as best we can. And, Father, thank you for loving us and blessing us, Father. Thank you for providing the peace that you give, give to us each and every day. Heavenly Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen and amen. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. What a wonderful opportunity we've had today. It's, it's good to see Sister Tracy back. And we mess with her a lot, especially when I talk about those deals that she make me. But it's, a wonderful, it's wonderful to see her here and, and that smile. And for all of you who just joined us via internet today, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. And we promise, Ken and I are working toward an, uh, that time when we will be able to have more people worshiping here. There are a few things we need to do still. Uh, I hope you read the letters that were sent out and, and take it to heart. Uh, we meant everything that was said. But we're looking forward to the day when we can stand here or someone can stand here and see a lot more people out there. It's not going to be a packed house because we can't do that yet. But we will be socially distanced, but we will have that opportunity to have more people here worshiping with us. Brother Court, thank you for helping out, brother. Really appreciate it. Brother Pat, can't, can't do this without Pat because a lot of people would not be able to understand, but we appreciate that. But we want you all to have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Um, for all those soldiers that have that have served and have died, um, and some of those are relatives of ours, let us remember the sacrifice for them. They died so that we would have the freedom to do what we're doing today. Let us never forget that. Those who are out there fighting today are doing that so that we can have the freedom that we have today. And let us be thankful for that. You all have a wonderful day.